they're kind of rare. And I went, oh my gosh. And this voice said, do you want to buy it? And I said, yes, God, I do. Let's peek inside the mind of a boomer. This is Boomer Randomness, a podcast dedicated to the baby boom generation with random observations about boomer life from boomers, including topics like music, movies, memories, marriage and divorce, retirement, bucket lists, kids and grandkids, travel, medical crap that old people talk about, and a whole lot more. Here is your boomer host, Bernie Lucas. Car popularity exploded at about the same time that boomers came of age. Guys were especially crazy about what came to be known as muscle cars. Let's take a detailed dive into muscle cars of the mid-60s to mid-70s with my car expert friend, Jim Mead. The theme of what we're talking about is the boomer era, and and the boomer era is kind of also the muscle car era, or just cars in general. It's like we were... You know, in our in our teens, it's like we had to have a car. You know, our parents didn't necessarily have to at that point, but in, in ours, it's like this whole era. It's like it was all about cars and what kind of cars we were going to have. So, Jim Mead is my car go-to guy. <laughs> Good to see you, Jim. Oh, excellent to be here, Bernie. Always great to see you. And uh, I'm your go-to guy when you have uh, one question out of a hundred that you can't answer yourself, but. <laughs> Anyway, you and I can ramble on all day about this, so this is fun. This- and this is cool. This is the first time I'm seeing your, your rec room or man cave, as I would assume your wife calls this. Yes, uh, this is where I can go, and I'm relegated to go live when I don't behave myself in the upper stories of the townhouse, right? Uh, everything in here is cars and music, and, and I, I forgot you play drums. There's a drum set over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got my wig set up. Um, you know, I broke the bench, the seat, the throne, if you they call it. And so the neighbors and my wife love that. <laughs> no drumming for a while. No drumming. But all this vinyl that you have, that you showed me the Led Zeppelins, you had a couple of them there. It's like you could play those and it's almost like your neighbors would think you're drumming. You know what? And, and fortunately, uh, they both have four stories. They are seldom in their basement. So they, and I've asked them, they can't hear my music because, which I can only play when uh, Anne Marie is away. Okay, and then the vo- volume is put the, the level it should be. And they say they sometimes when they're down here they can hear a little bit, but uh, it, you know I, I'm cognizant of trying not to have them call the police on me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So tell me about the two cars that are in your garage that we walked past coming in here. The one I've had the longest is a 1971 Corvette LT1 that I bought during my first job out of college in 1979. And um, it was replacing uh, what I had, uh, my first major investment, I got an inheritance of $3,000 and I immediately went and bought a 1968 Corvette L79 327 car. And um, uh, it got wrecked in a, very strange accident and I was in the process of fixing it and just the stars aligned and this kid this boy and father combination wanted that model 
to make a Can-Am racer, so they didn't care about the broken body pieces. They, they were going to redo it all anyway, and they said, you know, uh, can we buy it from you for like, uh, how about 1600 bucks? And I said, done. And this was exactly the day after I accidentally walked into the wrong building on a business appointment, which was supposed to be an office building, but it was the same street address and it was a garage and no one was there. And these cars were there, but there, and I walked in the back and there was still no one. It was a Friday afternoon, not a soul. And I walked through the door and this cavernous garage area opened up before me and there 20 feet ahead was this LT1 Corvette that was in perfect shape sitting there and like I recognized it because the hood denotes either an LT1 or a big block and I walked up and it was an LT1 and I was going oh my because they're kind of rare and I went oh my gosh and this voice said do you want to buy it and I said yes God I do and this guy came around the corner and he said, yeah, man, this, this lady dropped it off five months ago to, for us to work on it. She never came back. She left the state. And, you know, they got, you, just, <laughs> you just pay for it. And I did. And I've had it ever since. A little divine intervention for the, in the car world. It was meant to be. And I'd always told myself, there, you know, there's nothing against yellow, but I never liked yellow cars per se. Yeah. And this is war bonnet yellow. But what are you going to do? Yeah. And, and the other car out there is yellow also. Exactly. But see, that may, that's a 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger that was converted from the 340 small block, which, which made it actually the, the perfect muscle car in balance and performance of almost any make, actually, outside the Corvette. But it was refitted with a 383 uh, engine. and But it, the, the, the Dodge and Plymouth, they combined all of their performance cars, which they were like six different cars you could get in a given year. And they aligned them under a performance moniker and the Plymouth was the rapid transit system. And the Dodge, which they still employ to this day, is the Scat Pack. And the Scat Pack logo was a, a bee, a vengeful, mean looking bee with slicks. And that is still the icon for even the modern day Dodge performance. They have the Scat Pack to this day. So the B moniker, Scat Pack, and it's a B yellow, and then the Scat Pack, all the models, you could have the bumblebee stripes along the rear end. So yellow with black bumblebee stripes seemed appropriate. So I can live with that. Now, the, the first VET, was was that your first car or just your first of this kind of car? No. When I was 16, I got a, a, a Maverick that I was going to build. In, well, I was building into a Maverick GT, and it wasn't the Maverick uh, Boss 302, which was the ultimate Maverick with the 302 engine in it. So I was building that, and then, you know, uh, a rainy day going the speed limit, uh, 30 miles an hour and just hit a curve and it lost it and I rolled it and totaled it and the next week I found a 69 Roadrunner. At 16 I got a 1969 Roadrunner and built that up and then I got that inheritance and I got and I restored the Roadrunner and it was perfect and uh, my mom had a carport 
and no double driveway, so I would park it on the side parallel to the carport, but it was grass. And it was, and then I got that Corvette, and then the, the Roadrunner sat, and I was driving this Corvette in college, and she called me one day, and she says, you know what, that Roadrunner makes my house look like a used car lot. Either you come this weekend and sell it, or I'm getting, giving it away. And that prompted me to do the only bad thing she ever did to me was make me sell the Roadrunner. But she let you have those other cars, so she yeah. was a good mom, right? Oh, yeah. Did. How did you get interested in, I guess you would call it performance cars or, or muscle cars? Like you hinted at, we're growing up and we're young and impressionable in the early 60s when General Motors and Ford and Chrysler started to compete in the muscle car race. And these performance cars were swarming all over. Every city in America had cool cars cruising around. Now, you know, they were might have been 5% of the car population, but you, if you were paying attention, you saw really cool cars. And then as the 60s accelerated in proportion to the acceleration of the Vietnam War, the car started to get meaner and wilder. And then by 67, 89, and 1970, the big four had all these cars and used and new, and, and they were roaming the, the world, the landscape like awesome dinosaurs. And if you like cars, which is not that big a percentage of people, everybody kind of likes them, but like I'm a car idiot. I, the, my first word my mom said was car. So, the, so, so, so I'm mentally uh, dis predisposed to do that and, and and I just loved them all every time I would I just loved in my neighborhood every manufacturer's performance car was in my neighborhood yeah. and it was it uh, I would ride my little bike and and I would go check them out and um, these guys would go hey kid what do you want <laughs> just I want your car no just look no just looking <laughs> just at the like, car yeah. I got my own ride oh, I polished my little stingray every time I went out but like yeah it yeah. was you anyway. know it's funny because the um, my first car was just was the stupidest looking little thing. It was a '63 Rambler American. It was basically a square shoebox on wheels, and no performance anything except the oh, the guy I bought it from put a racing stripe on it. <laughs> That's funny because I say the big four. Everybody thinks of Chrysler, Ford, GM. But the big four encompassed American Motors. And in 69, American Motors took that body style, the uh, the Rebel, and they made the, well, it was a Rambler, actually. They yeah. called it the Rambler in 69. And they made the SC Rambler. And the SC stood for Sports Coupe. And they put their 390 cubic inch engine in it, a four-speed. And then they put a, uh, a good uh, all-round rear end and those things were potent hot rods. They only made about, they made less than probably 2,000 of them, I guess. And you know what, just they, that's when the big four were using the old adage, they were putting fat tires and big cubic inch engines in these lightweight cars with good automatics or four speeds and they were good. And American, that was a really good car. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's funny, though. My second car was a Mustang. It, yeah. it wasn't like a fancy one. It was a real bare-bones Mustang. But it's, it's to this day probably my favorite car that I had. And I would still have it if it, if it hadn't been stolen. This is the Boomer Randomness Podcast. We're talking with my muscle car enthusiast friend, Jimmy Mead. Mustang Sally. What's your everyday car? Well, my everyday car is uh, an old Jeep Patriot 2009 that um, was produced when Mercedes-Benz owned Chrysler. And um, it's the last body style that reflects the old Cherokee, Jeep Cherokee lines that were, you know, famous for Jeep from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that was the last body style, you know, the boxy, uh, sharp-edged Jeep body lines. But it has the Mercedes 2.5-liter transverse-mounted four-cylinder, which when I got it, I was kind of in an electronic uh, variable CVT, constant variable transmission, that I thought would blow up. But that four-cylinder and that little automatic transmission are pushing 190,000 miles. I've done nothing to it. Net, yeah. Not even a tune-up. Just change the oil. Uh-huh. That's the secret. Change that oil. Change the oil. And Absolutely. That's my go-to. Yeah. Anne Marie won't ride in it anymore. She's she drives modern cars, but yeah, hers is a Mini Cooper, I think. She's got a really pretty Mini Cooper and convertible, and then she's got a uh, Volkswagen Tiguan, which is um, which is the same car vehicle, it, everything except for the. Cosmetic appointments of the Audi Q5. Are you retired or are you still working? Oh, I'm, yeah, well, I'm still working. Okay. And you're in real estate, right? Well, no, I was in real estate with Anne Marie for ooh, 16 years, and then I became a lender what, one month before COVID hit, before the <laughs> lockdown. So I, I was, a, um, was a lender until um, actually July. And my first company, they closed shop, and they got rid of all 240 field lenders. We all worked remote, and then they were sold to an outfit somewhere, and they're a call center only now. And then I, my next company, they closed the Maryland branch in July. So I'm in between, in between things. Yeah, I'm looking to start a, a podcast venture that will net my partner and I, and I'm pointing to Bernie. We're going to do automotive automotive podcasts, and you know, I can I can help you with that. I, I got I got this down more or less. Do. Yeah, you do. Well, the audio part I do because I did that for a living, but the the, you know, the rest of it, I'm I'm getting there. Uh, something we also talked about the other day. Um, I'm looking at my notes here, and my handwriting's horrible. That's why I should never use, I should never write anymore. That's another boomer thing. It's like we still write in cursive on paper, you know. But younger generations are, you know, on their phones or laptops or iPads. Our cursive is now modern day hieroglyphics, man. I dare you, I dare you to find somebody under 20 who can even read cursive most of the time. Yeah, they don't teach it in school anymore. Um, but you said something to the effect of 
perfect car offerings, and this is the last year of something. Uh, I think you was it basically what we would we've been referring to as muscle cars, right? You know, and I, I compiled a list so I could do it, but like in the especially the the American muscle car year apex was 69 and everybody says 70 that was the apex of the american muscle car but in i i made a list of the cars you could get in 1969 that were 69 model years and then of course um american manufacturers bring out the subsequent year in august and september so in 1969 you could have gotten us any 69 model but then for four months, you could have gotten a 1970 model. So with that overlap, if somebody wanted to buy an American performance car, there were over 30 offerings, conservatively speaking. And I, I can speak to that if you have an extra five hours. But, <laughs> but in 2023, currently, there are five performance car offerings for uh, American-made automobiles and that's the Corvette, the Camaro, Ford Mustang, the Dodge Charger and the Dodge Challenger. Okay. And uh, this is the last year for the Dodge Challenger and the Dodge Charger. They were bought by a European concern that is eliminating our beloved gas fired engine muscle cars and these cars will no longer be available and Dodge with their very aggressive advertising campaigns that they've had the past 20 years about their performance, their current campaign is last call. This is the last, you know, making light of a bar call when it's closing, but like this is the last call. If you want a Dodge or Challenger or Charger, this is the last call to be able to get one because they're going all electric next year. And I heard that the Camaro is being eliminated as well. So, in, in reflection, we've gone from a period where you had 30 offerings to next year, you're going to have two. You see that tear running down each side of my eye? I yeah, do. For a reason. <laughs> and it's funny, the two, uh, it, the Vet and the Mustang, they're basically like the first and now the last of the, the muscle cars. Absolutely. Of the muscle cars during what I hail as the golden age of the American muscle car, which was from 1964 to 1974. Yeah. And you're right. That, that is a very astute observation. It, it's, it's um, you know, ironic that that's how it's come to be. The first two are going to be the last two. Little GTO. During our lengthy conversation the other day, we also talked about some of the other iconic muscle cars of the era, including Pontiac GTO, Oldsmobile 442, AMC Javelin, Pontiac Trans Am, and others. Remember those? Especially if you're a guy in the boomer era. Jim also showed me his extensive collection of 118th scale die-cast cars, each made with incredible details like doors that open and close. So Jim and I could talk for hours, and we did talk quite a long time that day, but I have an embarrassing confession to make. Due to a technical glitch, I lost part of the audio recording of our conversation. Jim, my apologies. We will record something again in the future. Maybe we'll even start a muscle car podcast like we joked about. 
I did record one more thing on my iPhone as I was leaving Jim's house. He fired up his two muscle cars. First, the 1971 Corvette. It's really cool to hear. Somehow, when it's recorded, you can hear the tapping. Their, their, their hydraulics run quieter. Then the 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger big block engine. Jim Mead, thanks for your insight into performance cars from the Boomer era. Morning, always great to see you. Here's what's coming up on Boomer Randomness. The first episode in which I'll focus on one specific year. In this case, a year during which two important Americans were gunned down, but also a year with classic movies, TV shows, and music. 1968. Learn more about Boomer Life and sign up for episode updates at boomerrandomness.com. And check us out on the Boomer Randomness Facebook. Okay, Boomer. Thanks for listening, and tell everyone you know about Boomer Randomness.